Good to see you guys. Go Broncos. Um, yeah, I know some of you are probably uh, Northeast transplants. Um, we love you and also are praying prayers of destruction upon your football team uh, this morning. So we're kind of trying to maintain that tension. Um, we hope no like life-altering injuries for your team, but um, you know, like they get banged up a little bit and like they have to put in the back of quarterback. You know, like, okay. Anyways, before I get in too much trouble, um, that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about. We're in the middle of a series called United where uh, we're working through kind of in honor of celebrating uh, our fifth birthday. We turned five like uh, about a year and a week ago. Uh, it was the very first time we gathered in my living room, uh, 12 of us in my chocolate lab, Penny. And uh, as we were doing this, we talked about how we would be a church about three things. We would be about the gospel, community, and mission. What we believe is the gospel is this thing that saves you from your sin. It saves you into a community called the church, and then that church doesn't exist for itself but for the good and the joy of those who don't yet belong. And so consequently, we live on mission. We would be a gospel community on mission for Jesus to the city of Denver uh, and the world. And we're working through each one of these values. We talked about gospel. We talked about community. And uh, this morning, we're going to talk about uh, mission. And and let me just even say on the front end, I feel like this morning is almost like uh, kind of the first part of a larger talk that I want to do almost over two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk about kind of what we specifically feel like God is calling us to do uh, in the year 2016 and kind of what the mission will be, what it looks like for you to join in on that. But really this morning, um, I, I want to give you what I feel like is almost the precursor to that talk, uh, almost like a... Pre- Did I just hear that? Was that everybody? We're good? Yeah, okay. That was weird. Um, yeah, you Patriots fans are like doing something here. I'm just kidding. We love you. Okay, we really love you. Um, but what I really want to do this morning is do kind of a precursor or a preface to that to kind of almost lay the foundation of, of what's necessary if we're going to do what we're talking about doing this year. Uh, and really, here's kind of my burden. We said in this, I don't want to just kind of give definitions of these values, but really burdens. And my burden is that we would really be a generous people. Uh, and a lot of times when you say generosity, it conjures images of financial generosity, which we're going to talk about. But it's more than that. Like what we really desire for you uh, is whole life generosity, not just generosity with your money, but your, the entirety uh, of your life reflecting the generosity of God towards you. And ultimately, you believing and understanding, like if you're going to make a difference, uh, in your neighborhood, if you're going to make a difference amongst your family, if you're going to make a difference in your workplace, if you're going to make a difference in the city, if you're going to make a difference in the world, it, it's really going to cost you something. Um, I just think it's always been that way. Like Historically, it's been that way. I think a lot of times we, we kind of believe that there's this thing called the overnight success where a bunch of people rally and they, they stage a protest and they just change everything and, and just read history books about any great change that's been made. And, and usually it's somebody working 10 or 20 years anonymously and then Somebody writes a newspaper article about them, and they're like, oh, that's an overnight success. It's like, no, you just didn't notice them yet. It's the same way like, we believe this theologically. Like, we believe that what differentiates Christianity from other worldviews is other worldviews might say, yeah, the world's not that broken, or they might say, yeah, the world's broken, but like, here's a few rules to make things every- better. Just do these three things, and everything will be better. Like, Christianity says like, the nature of the world is it's so broken that God himself had to step out of heaven into history to sort of fix it himself. He didn't just come as like a good moral teacher or a politician. It wasn't like he just had to be elected into office. Like he, he had to die. He had to die to like redeem and fix the brokenness of the world. And, and so we know this historically. We know this theologically. And consequently, as we desire to make a difference, and I think we do want to make a difference. We exist in this cause-driven generation. I think that's because you were created for a cause that you would know that like it, it's really going to cost you something. And, and really this burden, it's birthed out of just an observation I've made uh, in this city and in this culture as a whole, where a lot of times, like, companies as a whole try to appeal to your desire to make a difference, and they kind of sell you this idea that you can change the world and it won't cost you anything. Like, just, just buy these shoes, 
and like you can change the world just buy this shirt that you were like already planning to buy and not only can you like change the world but you can project everybody else around you like what a socially conscious person you are like all you have to do is retweet this and you don't even have to give the five dollars away somebody else will give the five dollars away and you're like sweet like i can change the world and i don't have to do anything and look, I'm not trying to be super cynical or anything like that. I think it's cool that businesses are socially conscious. I think it's cool that they see that they have a mission larger than themselves than just making a profit. But you need to understand that even companies are appealing to this in you. It's called altruistic marketing, where it's kind of like, hey, you can have the product you want, and you don't really have to give a whole lot up, and you also get the feeling of being a good person. And for us, like, what we really desire for you is to understand, like, this is going to be costly. Like, you making a difference is going to be costly. Like, my, my burden is almost after we talk about this, is that you would see kind of the bill of goods that says you can change the world and it'll cost you nothing, and you're, you're not enticed by that, but you're almost more, like, kind of nauseous at that idea. And, like, I, I use that word nauseous intentionally. Like, I think there's some things in our culture that are so cheap. You know, I think we're all, like, drawn to a deal. But then when, like, something gets really, really cheap, you're not enticed, but you're kind of like, what is this thing? Like, like I thought about this... I know some of you love McDonald's, and so there's no judgment from here about McDonald's, okay? But, but I saw this ad for McDonald's this week, like, McPick, too. Has anybody seen this? Like, I can't get this stupid thing out of my head. And um, this deal is you can get two double cheeseburgers for $2. Now, for me, I wasn't like, you know, I'll do the math for you. That's 50 cents a hamburger. Now, for me, I wasn't like, oh, sweet, like, what a deal. I was more of like, what the heck is in this thing that is this cheap? Like, like, this almost sounds like something my grandpa should have told me about, like, before the war, we could buy a hamburger for a nickel. Like, like we shouldn't be experiencing this reality today. And so for me, I'm not like, oh, sweet, like, what a deal. I'm more like, ugh, this, this seems like it can't be the real thing. The same way for you when people are kind of like, you can change the world, and it won't cost you anything. You have to be generous. You don't, like, I don't want you to be like, oh, awesome. Like, isn't that a fantastic deal? It's like, man... I just think you're calling me, calling me to something that's less than the real, the real thing. And so really what we're going to talk about this morning is what does it look like for us to be generous? Not just a desire to live out the mission of God, but be willing to be generous for the sake of the mission of God. Not just financially, but with our whole lives. And so what Paul in this letter is going to do, we've kind of been seeing different aspects of where he's writing to the church. Uh, what we're going to see are kind of three just foundational truths for what does it look like for us to live lives of generosity for the sake of living out the mission that God has called us to live. Now, the first we're going to talk about is the why for generosity, the why for generosity. And I love this about Paul. Paul never, and really in the Bible, like God's people never just like, well, just do it because you should do it. Some of you grew up in churches like this where it's like, well, good people give money away. And you're like, man, that's not a very motivational reason for me to be generous. Like Paul is a great leader and he loves God and he perpetually points us back to the foundational reason of why we're generous with our whole lives. And look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 should really pop off the page and be life-altering for you. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What Paul is saying is the, the, the driving motivation for generosity with our whole lives is the generosity that God has shown us. That Jesus, who was rich in the truest sense of being rich, he possessed all the qualities of God, empties himself of those rights and becomes poor. He becomes a man, and he doesn't just become a man who's like, 
sweet, I'm going to be the number one overall draft pick in the NBA. He's like, no, I'm going to come, and ultimately I come to die. I come to die in the place of you and me so that we can receive his riches. Like, God treats Jesus in the way that we deserve to be treated. We get treated in the way that Jesus deserves to be treated. He becomes poor, and we become rich. It is the greatest act of cosmic generosity that's ever been demonstrated and has been demonstrated towards every single one of you who's in this room. And Paul's saying that this is the driving motivation for generosity. What, what I hope you're seeing is he's not just sort of reminding you of the gospel. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. He's not even just reminding you of your identity in the gospel. He's doing something even more than this. He's, he's pointing you to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's almost like the anchor for your soul that returns you back to the waters of reality. And like probably even already, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense, but I saw like the, the, the most perfect example of this uh, maybe a week ago. So um, we have some really good friends in the life of our church, uh, Levi and Hillary Tiarina, um, which they, they joined the summit in the first year that we existed. And um, we had them over for dinner last week, and they were talking about how uh, Hillary's grandpa just died. And I, I had known that like in the last years of Hillary's grandpa's life, uh, he had struggled with Alzheimer's. And so he'd kind of begun to forget like the most foundational truths of his life, like even like who his family was. And, and it was interesting because Hillary was saying that like he forgot who everybody was uh, other than her husband, Levi. And, uh, and, and so it was really interesting where like she would like interact with him and he would say to her, um, you know, who are you again? And she'd be like, like, grandpa, like I'm, I'm Hillary, I'm your granddaughter. Like, who are you? Who are you? And then finally she would be like, okay, I'm Levi's wife. Oh, oh, Levi, okay, oh, okay, Levi's wife. It was, like, it was like Levi was this concrete person. It was like an anchor for his soul that like returned him back to the realities of the world, the waters of reality, so that he could kind of see everything around him correctly. And we've talked about this. Like for us, we have the propensity to be a forgetful people. We have a propensity to forget the most important and significant aspects of life, what life is all about and who God is and the way he feels about us and the way we should live and the chief reason for which we should exist. And, and, and Paul is doing the same thing. We're kind of like, what are we supposed to exist for? What type of job am I supposed to live? How am I supposed to think about my money? What is supposed to be the primary cause for which I live? And then Paul, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, like, Remember Jesus. <laughs> like, Jesus is the person who returns you back to the waters of reality and helps you see the world around you as you were intended to correctly see it. You see, my friends, like, if there's not a God, if you sort of willed yourself into existence, like, man, you exist for whatever the heck you want to exist for. Like, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. And even if you, like, have some sort of understanding of salvation where your salvation is based on, like, you know, the reason you go to heaven is because you were, like, a particularly good or intelligent or talented person, well, man, like, if you're good, talented, gifted, then, like, man, you, you use all the fruits of that talent for whatever the heck you want to live it, whatever the heck you want to use it for. But if, look at verse 9 again, but if you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If you're like, man, I know that. That changes everything. It changes the way we don't just think about our money, but it changes the way we think about the entirety of our lives. I mean, I'm like, like this is going to be a little bit transparent and raw. I'm like still trying to like, this is like really wrecked me this week, where it's like, it's so easy in my own life to feel like, I mean, particularly about money, it's like all about me. It's like amazing how I can, like, you know, I just had like my birthday and Christmas, so, you know, you, you're kind of like running a surplus in your money when you get on the other side of that. And it's like amazing 
amazing the way I can like scour the internet for hours for deals and like talk to people for hours about the things that I want. And there's even things I didn't even know existed 15 minutes ago that like 15 minutes later, I'm like, I have to have this. Or I'm like on Facebook and I'm like, man, that's a cool jacket. And then it's like, I have to have that jacket. And it's like, how can I find a good deal on that jacket? Not so I can like be generous with the other money, but it's more like, because I want two jackets. I, I need two jackets. It's amazing. Like the entirety of my life can be built around like what I need and what I want and what I can keep. And then it's like verse nine is so deeply, deeply challenging to me because what it's saying is like when we understand the generosity of God towards us, the the, the legacy that I want to leave, that the mark of the life well lived is not what I can get and it's not what I can keep, but it's what I can give. That's the mark of a life well lived is your generosity. Man, and it's just like, what, what if we thought that way? Like, what if we thought about, like, not just, gosh, like, what if we thought, man, success in my life is being radically, radically generous? How would that impact the people around us? I mean, everybody around us is thinking they have to fight for everything. Like, like what, it's just, I was just even thinking practically, like, what if, rather than hearing what somebody else really wants and being like, well, man, hope you can save up for it. I got my own stuff I got to get. What if it was like, I would love to meet that need for you. Like, what if we did that in the ebb and flow of our daily lives? It's amazing. I mean, that's the mechanism by which God a lot of times can change the world. So anyways, that's all over the place. But it's like, I'm still trying to like think about this in my own life. Paul's saying the why for the generosity is, is God has treated us generously. And just as God has treated us, we want to treat the people around us as well. He's been generous towards us, and so we're generous in return. Now, Paul's a really great leader. He doesn't just give vision. He also gives execution. He, he sort of lays out, like, here's the destination I want you to get to. And then he's almost like, here are the mile markers I want you to hit along the way if you desire to live a generous life. And so then he kind of turns his attention to the how of generosity. Verses 10 through 15 are almost like three big steps, smile markers to say, okay, here's how you execute this desire for being really, really generous. And the first thing he talks about this, he kind of revisits an idea, but I, I just don't want you to overlook it. Verse 10, he talks about one, like just the importance of having an authentic desire to be generous. The importance of having an authentic desire to be generous. Look at verse 10. He says, in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, uh, which we'll return to uh, here at the end who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. Now, that's so challenging to me because a lot of you grew up in churches or even have been exposed to nonprofits where, like, the win is, like, just getting your money, right? The win is, like, if we can kind of manipulate you, I mean, I give this example a lot, but, like, um, you know, I just feel this all the time when I'm, like, checking out at Sprouts, and they're like, say really loudly with people around behind me, like, do you want to give five dollars to like save the puppies that are going to be executed? And it's like, I yes, like I don't want to be a terrible person. Like every, I can feel like the judgment on the back of it. It's like you know, like the Sarah McLaughlin commercials are always the best example. I mean, like like we've rescued dogs, and like I love rescue dogs, but it's like, man, I just. Like, it, it, there's something so, I don't know, for me, it's like not love, it's just like guilt. I don't, like, I don't want to be a horrible, horrible person. Like, and some of you, gosh, like, were exposed to churches where it was just like, if we can kind of like trick you into getting your money, then, then we've won. But, but Paul didn't think this way, and we don't think this way either. Look, look again at what he says in verse uh, 10. He says, you start not only to do this work, so he's like, you guys are being generous, but the win for me is that you also desired to do it. Like, for Paul... Like, here's what he wanted. Here's what he wants for us. And as, as one of your pastors, like, this is what I want for you as well. I want you to want to be generous. 
I don't want to trick you. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to give you some sort of false, like, I don't want to give you anything other than the pure generosity of God through the gospel and his generosity towards you spurs you towards practical generosity in the ebb and flow of your daily life. Just know that. Like, I want you to want to be generous. That is a greater fruit than if we could sort of trick you and, like, produce more money. And this is why we don't, like, do stupid things. Like, if you give more money, um, all your problems will go away or some sort of prosperity gospel, like, nonsense like that. Okay, second, not just authentic desire, but actual follow-through. So look at verse 11. He says, so now finish doing it as well so that in your readiness, uh, or in your readiness and desiring, it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. So he's saying it's not just to have good desires or good intentions, but you need to complete what it is that you said you were going to do. I, I've just, here's practically what Paul is saying. Is it's not enough just to have good intentions or good desires. I meet with a lot of people. Um, I have yet to meet the person who's like, man, I, I would love for it to say on my tombstone, stingiest person ever. I haven't met that person yet. Like Everybody's like, yeah, I love the idea of being generous. I love the idea of impacting other people. I love the idea of giving myself to a cause. But, but a lot of people just don't know how to execute that plan. And, and here's the thing. is like it, It's when sort of desire spills into action that you reflect what it is you're actually committed to. Like when your, your desire, your intentions, it's not enough just to stay there. We all have good intentions, good desires. But it's when it spills into actual action and when it spills into actual follow-through, that reflects what it is that we're really committed to. And so I just want to practically challenge you. Like don't just have a desire to be generous with your life, but you need to have a plan. And, and practically, here's what I would challenge you towards, is having a budget for your life, particularly in two particular aspects, with your money and with your time. Now, a budget is simply telling your time and money where to go rather than getting to the end of the month and finding out where it all went. And, uh, and we do this all the time, right? Like, we do this all the time where it's like, man, we get to the end of the month, and it's like, man, I wanted to be generous. I wanted to prioritize other people, and there's just nothing left over. Where did all my money go? I can't believe I spent that much on drinks. I can't believe I spent that much on eating out. I can't believe I spent that much on there. And it's the same way with our time, where there's like, man, I would love to see you. I mean, we all say this, right? Like, how are things? I'm so busy. I would love to see you, but I'm so busy. But it's like, let's, let's take some control of our lives and think about, like, what is it that God is calling me to prioritize and to, like, make a budget for that and to say, hey, like, God's called me to you. God's called me to you as a friend. God's called me to you as a missionary. Like, you don't know who Jesus is yet, and I would love to be deeply, deeply invested in your life, and I'm going to prioritize you, and I'm going to have, like, a budget for the way that I invest my time. I mean, practically for us as a family, we've always prioritized our giving. I feel like weird saying this because I feel like I'm trying to, like, or it might come off like I'm boasting. I'm, I just feel like it's helpful for people to be practical. But for us, it's always been like, since we've been married, it was like, okay, like we want to prioritize a life of generosity, so we're going to practically prioritize being generous with our budget. Like when we first were married, we were like, we had these desires of being, oh, I would love to be generous. And it's like, okay, well, after we pay the bills and after we get all the things that we want, uh, then we'll be generous. You know what was like the craziest thing? We never had any money left over. Like we always had more things than we had money to, to use. And it was just, that happened all the time. So it's like, we got to flip this. We got we to lead with generosity. We get paid. We need to lead with our generosity. At the same time, uh, with our budget, with our time budget as well. Like, Megan and I, maybe this sounds like we're running like almost a, a business in our home, but I think sometimes this kind of is important. It's like a lot of times we'll sit down, we'll sit down on Sunday nights, say, okay, here's the week. We've prioritized getting with these people who aren't Christians. We've prioritized getting with these people who are friends who can easily be squeezed out of our lives. And, and how do we kind of ensure that we like stay around these people and prioritize these people? Again, I'm not going to kind of like pull out the whiteboard and spreadsheets and like totally nerd out on you. Like this would be a great thing to flesh out in a city group. But you need to have a plan. You need to not just have desires, but a plan because when desires spill into action, that's when it reflects true commitment. All right. 
Third, come back if you just got bored by hearing the word budget, okay? Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, okay, third, uh, Paul talks about the ending of excuse-making. The ending of excuse-making. Verse 12 is brilliant. It's one of the most brilliant sentences, life-altering sentences in the entirety of uh, all that's been written. And, and look at this. I know maybe that's hyperbolic, but um, verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable for you to give of your life according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, probably instantly, most of you aren't like, well, that's life-altering. But here's what, pe- what Paul is saying, is that you are meant to give of your life, not according to what you don't have, but according to what you do have. Now, you're like, what the heck does it mean to like, give according to what I don't have? Well, here's my observation from just kind of interacting with people, is a lot of people give according to what they don't have because they sort of imagine there's this future day where it's like super, super convenient for them to be generous with their lives. They kind of look at their present circumstances and they're like, man, I look at my money, I look at my time, I look at my commitments, I look at my obligations. Like, this is a terrible time to be generous. But like, there's this day that's coming where like, as soon as I get there, according to when, I, when I do have that, when I, when I have what I don't currently have, then I'll be generous. And so here's how this sort of fleshes out. It's like, so somebody starts, like, maybe they get their first job in high school, and they're making, like, 50 bucks a week, and they're like, man, like, I don't have money to give away. I'm making 50 bucks a week. It, like, if I give away, if I tithe, if I give away $5, that's going to make a huge difference anywhere. It's like, I'll, you know, like, once I get to college, and I can work more hours because I have more free time, then I'll do that. And then you get to college, and all of a sudden, you don't work as much as you thought you were going to work. You're, like, playing ultimate Frisbee instead of working, and you're like, okay, I'm only making, like, $100 a week. And so, okay, well, you know, maybe when I have my first, like, real job, uh, then that's when I'll be really, really generous. And then you get your first real job, and it's like, oh, my gosh, like, I have all this college debt. i got to pay off the debt as well, and you're not making nearly as much as you thought you would. You're like, man, like, finding a job is really, really hard, and the, the market's competitive. I'm not making nearly as much as I would make. Like, once I get married, once we have two incomes, no kids, like, once that's going on, and then we'll be really generous. And then you get married, and, you know, you've been even financially responsible, and you paid off your debt, and then you marry somebody who wasn't financially responsible, and they got debt. And I'll tell you, you know what? That means you got debt, bro. Like, that's, a, that's a what happens. <laughs> And that situation where it's like, well, now I got to pay off her debt. Uh, and, and okay, so like once we, once we have kids, like then, then, then we'll be stable and we'll have, you know, then you have kids. And this is sort of the spoiler for those of you who don't have kids yet. Um, a lot of times you lose somebody in your home working. Um, the most, imp- most expensive person in your home is not able to work, uh, your child. And like in that, I'm not advocating for like my two-year-old working. I'm just telling you like she's super expensive, okay? So like, so the cost of living goes up. It doesn't go down. And so you're like, okay, well like once, once uh, she grows up, once we kind of get past this life and like my, my, my wife can go back to work, then, then, then I'll be generous. But then all of a sudden you realize like it gets more expensive, not less expensive. Like your kids have activities and like, you know, maybe they want to go to college. I actually started a college fund for my daughter Hannah last week. I did the price estimator of what it'll cost for her to go to CU Boulder and a uh, quarter million dollars. Quarter million dollars, which I don't have, you know? And I'm like, and then like they told me how much I need to save monthly to have that. I'm like, I don't have that. And so it's easy to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to be generous because we got to make sure that she goes to college. Okay, once she goes to college, uh, then we'll be really, really generous. But man, then you got like crazy debt because you couldn't save up enough money for her to go to college. So then you're paying off that debt. It's like, okay, well, like after we've paid off that debt, but then all of a sudden you're like, your daughter is in the exact same place that she was before where you started life, where she needs money. And so like all your expendable income is going to sustain her life. And it's like, okay, well, once we retire, once we retire and my kids are growing up, then I will be generous. And it's like you're 75 years old, not working a job, social security's gone, and it's like, you thought that's when you were going to be generous? 
Yeah, it's like so sad to me that a lot of you in this room are on this trajectory where you'll never live a life of generosity because you're giving according to what you don't have as opposed to what you do have. It's like I would encourage you not to be like, oh, if I won the Powerball, then I would be generous. Right? Like, some of you, that's your strategy for retirement and generosity. Um, the lottery, as one of my friends said, is, is a tax on those of us who are bad at math. Um, <laughs> that's not a great, like, plan for generosity. Like, like, waiting for this mythical day to arrive where you have more money than you know what to do with. I haven't hit that point yet. I don't know if any of you have where it's like, man, the biggest problem I've got is I just don't know what to do with all this extra money. And there's always more to buy. And like, especially if you're going to stay in the city, the cost of living is astronomical. It's crazy. Man, but look at what you do have. Look at what God has given you. I mean, just practically and tangibly. I mean, if you drank clean water today, which is available to you in the lobby, so you, you can do that. You're wealthier than 30% of the world. If you own a computer, we'll, we'll go ahead and include smartphones in that as well. If you have a computer in your house, if you own a car, you're wealthier than 90% of the world's population. And it's like, uh, hear me, I'm not trying to say like with all that and like throwing stats at you, like I know some of you are in really hard financial states. I'm not trying to make little of that. But man, like I feel like a lot of us, we just have to stop pretending like we're as impoverished as we, we're not. Like from a global context, we're not. And it's time for us to start being generous with our money and with our whole lives according to what God has given us as opposed to like, what somebody else has. And because that'll lead to you finishing the race of life, never being generous. And that's really, really sad for me to think about for some of you. All right. So you need to have a plan. That's the how as well. And then Paul finishes by giving us the fruit of generosity, the fruit of generosity, which I, w- I want to draw your attention to uh, verse 10. Verse 10 says this, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you. Now, that's like the craziest thing for somebody to say when they're like trying to raise money, isn't it? Like, I feel like a lot of you are probably used to pitches of like, please, like, if you don't give money, the dogs will die. If you don't give money, we will shut our doors. Like, please, 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 please. And Paul, I love it. He's just like, he's so different in every way where he's just like, man, I'll tell you why you can give because it's good for you to give. Like, what? Like, I was expecting you to grovel a little bit. Then I'll give you a little bit. Now, why would this benefit you? Why would this benefit us to be really, really generous with our money and with our lives? Well, here's just kind of from my own experience of working with people now for five years, what I've seen is, is in a lot of ways, it's because of the impact on you and then the impact on the lives of those around you. Now, let me talk about, or let me start with talking about the impact on you. I'm talking in particular about financial generosity here. now, the Bible talks a lot about how we struggle with idolatry. And some of you are new around here, so like, you hear idolatry and you think, like, oh, that's weird. I don't struggle with that. I don't have, like, little marble statues that I, like, bowed down to before I came here. That, that's not idolatry. Idolatry is the propensity in every human heart to look at something less than God and believe that it can deliver to you the promises of God. That's what idolatry is. It's to look at something less than God and to believe that it has the power within it to, to deliver that which only God can deliver. And I would say for us, particularly for us and Americans, a highly consumeristic culture, it's really hard to look at something like money and not say that is the chief idol of the culture in which we exist. And it manifests itself in a couple of ways. Some of us struggle with the idol of spending. Some of us struggle with the idol of saving. The idol of spending comes when, like, I don't know, you have a really terrible day and your solution to sort of 
alleviating the stress and the pain that you have is like, well, I'm going to go buy something. I'm going to go like buy this dress so I feel beautiful, which will heal the brokenness I'm feeling in other areas of my life. I'm going to like buy this thing that can distract me and entertain me so I don't have to think about the emptiness of my life. Like if I could just have this thing, then everything in my life will be okay, which any of us who have done that, you know, you know how this process goes. You, you buy something on Amazon, you excitedly wait, await the two-day shipping, and it arrives, and like two days later, you're like, where is that thing again? It's empty. Same thing with saving. This is a little bit trickier because a lot of times those of you who are like really good savers are sort of like praised for your like fiscal responsibility, which is awesome. Like uh, we're not anti-saving around here whatsoever, but, but it's easy for that saving to be driven out of this belief of like, I can almost architect this wall that has walls high enough that it will protect me from any disaster that could ever assault me. Like if my 401k if you're in a nonprofit, your 403B, whatever it might be, if, if my savings account can get high enough, no matter what happens in the world, I will be safe, I will be secured. And it's like every single time you get to the end of the month and you have a surplus and you put more of that money away, it's just like something comes alive in the recesses of your soul. Like, we're going to be okay. And it's like every act of generosity, this isn't a perfect analogy, but like, I think this past week because I have somebody in my life who just got cancer and they just found out they have to do uh, radiation treatment. And it's like, you know, cancer, you have this like foreign thing that's going to kill you inside of you. And then like radiation is like you shoot lasers, it sounds like, into your body to like kill this thing before it kills you. It's like, in some ways, I feel like that's the reason that generosity benefits you so much. It's like every single dollar that you give away is a proclamation to see money for what it really is. Like, you're not my God. You are not worth building the entire life around. I will not treat people poorly in order to have more of you. You are not my safety. You are not my security. You do not make me feel loved. You are not my ultimate joy. You are not my ultimate satisfaction. You are not my God. And it's like I've just started to, like, see that in my own life. It's like... Like, almost selfishly, like, it's good for me to, like, just live this life of generosity to say, you will not control me. It's like every single dollar that goes away for the benefit of everyone other than me is the best thing I can do for me. But it also, like, it's the impact that you see on the people around you as well. Like, for me, the more and more I've lived, like, the more and more I see, like, we don't just buy things, we make investments in things. Like, everywhere we purchase things from, everything we buy, it's an investment in something. And, and I just think about, like, what, what better investment can you make than, like, investing in the lives of other people being changed? Like, what are you going to buy on Amazon that's better than that? And I, I'll just kind of be practical. Like, um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I see in this organization because I know it the best. And even hear me, like, I love to practically challenge you to be generous towards our church, particularly those of you who have committed to do that as covenant members here. But, like, that's not what we're after. We're not like the win is just give us 10% of your money. The win is you living a whole life of generosity and even pushing yourself not just to be generous here but to other places as well. That is really, really exciting to us because that's what we want for you. I mean, I, I think about, like, again, this, this is the organization that I know the best. And, and I think about those of you who give a dollar here. And I think about how, like, some of that dollar goes to, it just, like, goes away. Like, it just is given straight away because we have the responsibility as God's been generous to us to be generous to other people as well. And so we give some of that money to invest in church planting in Guatemala City. We give some of that to invest in church planting in London. We give some of that to invest locally. Uh, you know, like last summer sending kids uh, from this neighborhood to Young Life Camp, which is always supposed to be the very best week of their lives. 
You know, I understand for some of you, you're like, well, I know it doesn't go all towards that. It's only 100% of your budget like goes away. That's totally fine. You, you're, you're right. Like, like a lot of our budget goes towards like having the lights on right now, the chairs that you're sitting in, the building that you're sitting in right now. And I understand like probably on the surface, that doesn't seem like the most exciting thing in the world to be like, I love paying the electric bill at the Summit Church. Man, like, like for me, I don't see it that way. For me, I see the men and women who have filled this room. I think about those of you even in this room in this moment that I don't even know yet who were brought here because this thing is your last resort. And I think about how everybody else, like if you want help, they're going to charge you for it first. Like have you gone to counseling in the city recently? Man, like you're, fine, you're lucky to find something for less than like 100 bucks an hour for counseling. And you come here, and we talk about the truths of, the, of who God is and what he desires for your life. I think about how we do that for free. We'll never charge admission. Man, I think about how we create a space that there's people in your, many of your lives right now that you're thinking about like, man, I would love if they heard this right now. It's like you can bring them next week for totally free. Bring them for the rest of their lives for totally free. We will never demand, like, you have to pay in order to come in this space. I think about how this space has been used to host weddings. I think about last summer when a kid from our neighborhood died. This was the space that people came into to grieve as a community. Hundreds of people from this community filled this room because they knew this was a safe place to grieve the loss of a child in this neighborhood. I think about how monthly we host uh, an entrepreneur's meeting for the, for the, for the uh, artists and the entrepreneurs of this community, one of the most artistic and entrepreneurial neighborhoods in the entire world. There's like 50 or 60 people from that on a monthly basis. I'm like, it's a pretty sweet thing to pay the electric bill. And I know even for some of you, you're like, well, I know some of that money goes to salaries too. And you're right. Like a lot of that money does go to salaries. I mean, it's like so exciting for me to go to salaries. I, I think about how like for those of you with kids, like if you take your kids anywhere in this city for them to go, like, like if they're going to receive special attention, care, development in the areas of life that matter the most, it is going to be astronomically expensive. Like, like, if you looked at the price of college, or not college, I mean, you know what's even more expensive than college here is, like, the local private schools. And are you just, like, take your kids to go play somewhere, and they're not even going to let you through the walls until you pay some sort of admission. And I think about, like, paying the salary of somebody like Teresa, that's like, they're going to love your, like, she's going to love your kids and develop your kids so unbelievably well. And it's like, she has no idea if you give or not. And she'll continue to do that for as long as she's here at the Summit Church. I think about somebody like Andy. Like, man, do you know that, like, Andy offers counseling services that I think are superior to most of the paid services here in the city? Sometimes we refer people to specialists. Oh, by the way, we fund that as well. A lot of times people don't have the money for it because they can't afford the $90 or $100 per session. But a lot of times it's like, okay, here's Andy, and he's going to meet with you, and he's going to be better than somebody who's a professional, and he's going to point you to the truths of the gospel. He's going to see healing stirred up in the lives of the people in this room and the people around you as well. And it's not after he gets done, it's like, well, uh, did you bring your check? Or like, you know, can you pay me for this? Or, and why is that? Because we're not starting an organization off the model of like, you have to prove yourself before we will love you. No, God's initiating love has loved us first, and we live a life in response to it, and we will treat you in that way as well. And you can do that. You can be here for the rest of your life and not give anything, and we will still treat you that way because that's the way that God has treated us. Man, and when I just think about it, it's like when you give a dollar, that's the impact that's being made in this city and in this country and in this world. I'm like, like I, I just, here, here's what I would say to you. Don't give here because you feel guilty for us. Don't even give here because you believe that we're some sort of charity. Give here because we're an investment in the kingdom of God advancing to the nooks and crannies of culture that needs it the most. And if you feel sorry for us, don't feel sorry for us. It's hard and we need money, 
But man, we are an investment. We are not a charity. And I just can't think of anywhere better for you to invest your money. That's why I've given my whole life to this thing. And so, um, I don't even know what I was talking about. Okay. Um, man, I, I just, yeah. I kind of blacked out there for a second, but I think I'm back. <laughs> um, let me just challenge you with a couple questions, and then we'll pray and be done. Man, I, I, love, I love talking about this. Um, man, and I know a lot of you don't know me, and I know a lot of people in the church have abused money before, but I, I really want you to be generous with your whole life, not because we first want something from you, but we really want something for you. This is a better way to live. Uh, and that's what we want for you. So let me ask you a couple questions, and then we'll pray and we'll respond. Um, the first is this, is um, maybe just ask yourself, have I truly understood the generosity of God? Have I truly understood the generosity of God? So with this, we're speaking particularly to those of you who might be new to the church or exploring Christianity. Uh, a lot of times there's, maybe because of experiences or because people said something stupid in the media, there's, there's a lot of misunderstandings about who God is. And I pray that you would understand that really before he's anything else towards you, he is generous towards you. And have you thought about that? It's easy to think about God as like nothing more than this like cruel, distant taskmaster who's like waiting to crush you. That's not the God of the Bible. I mean, I would just challenge you to like really focus on verse 9. That like God is the one who became poor so that you might become rich in Christ. And so before it's even like, with that what I'm not saying is like, okay, well pull out your checkbook. We don't even take an offering here. Like I think that's why you can't even be like super skeptical of like us being after your money. Like we don't even do that. Oh, man, but it's like, do you understand the generosity of God? And then second, maybe ask yourself, um, like, where does my life need to start reflecting the generosity of God? And again, like, a lot of times this is financial. I heard somebody say one time that, like, the last thing to be converted in the life of a Christian is somebody's wallet. So maybe it is, like, you're being generous in a lot of ways, but, like, not with your finances. And, and we want you to be generous with your finances as well. Again, not just here, but elsewhere. But again, I would challenge you to think about your whole life. It's easy to give yourself exclusively to your career. It's easy for you to give yourself exclusively to your family. It's easy for you to give yourself exclusively to your hobbies and your interests. But the mark of a life well lived is not what you get, it's not what you keep, but it's what you give. And are you ready for that not just to be kind of good intentions and desires, but a plan that you actually execute? So, all right, I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about how to respond. God, thank you so much. Um, for who you are and the way you've loved us and the generosity you've demonstrated towards us. That is a, a life-altering reality that, that changes the definition of the life that is truly life. And so I pray uh, for all of us, I, I get it. Like I, I get that it's so easy to become turned in on ourselves, but let us not live that way. Let us live a life that almost like we're a mirror, we reflect the world around us, the generosity of God through our own generosity. And so I pray for people here um, who are exploring, like, what do I think about who God is? And I pray that they would see you as a very good and generous Father who gives you not just everything that we have, but ultimately gave us uh, your own Son. And I pray for those of us who are just, like, struggling to tangibly reflect that. And I even, here's my prayer, is like they, nobody would leave here feeling ashamed or some sense of guilt that propels their hearts to giving. We are not after shame. We are not after guilt. We are after grace. And as we proclaim and sing and marvel at this grace, I pray that it would overflow out of us 
to the spheres of influence you've entrusted us with as well. Please help us do that, and uh, we just ask these things in the precious name of Jesus, who's been the most generous towards us. Amen.